It's been a little while since we've been on the parables with the other things we had going on, but we are back over here and we'll be in Matthew, the 25th chapter. It was not too long ago, just a few years ago, we went through the end times and covered the end time parables, so I didn't really want to spend time on all of those. But this one is uh, often taken by itself, and so we'll go ahead and study this in its context and just review for some of you who covered this, uh, who were here when we covered this before. But in the end times parables, Jesus is giving parables that are unique to the end times. And we do have to understand these things in that area. Of course, there are some things, some truths that work in the end times that also work for other periods of time as well. Now in this, he goes from the parable of the servants, where he talks about the necessity of being faithful. Faithful to the master's purpose and faithful to the master's desires. And the focus there was on our actions, our attitudes towards others in the household. This is in Matthew uh, 24, I believe that was. And then we come over to the Matthew 25. We talk about the parable of the virgins. And here we have the ten virgins that came. All were waiting for the bridegroom. So we're not talking about unsaved people. Again, this is the parable for the end times. And his focus is on those that are his. And the questions that the disciples asked were about those that were his. So we had ten virgins that were there waiting for the arrival of the bridegroom. Again, this is not unsaved people. But of the ten, five had enough oil and five did not. And they came to borrow. And the five that had oil said, Now you go on and you um, go from the people who sell oil and get your own. Otherwise, there may not be enough for us and you. And so they went off. And while they were off is when the bridegroom came. And we know the oil represents the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. And what this was talking about was the necessity of inward character. And that Israel was often referred to as the, as the virgin or as the, the bride to come. The five foolish were alike in every way except in their preparation to endure to the end. They did not have enough. But they were all waiting for Jesus. And so what he was emphasizing there was the inward character. The need that they had that the inside had to be right. Because everything on the outside was the same. They were all waiting. They were all looking. But it was what was going on on the inside that was important. That certainly is not only important for us as far as the end times, folks, but for us today as well. We have to make sure we pay attention to inward character. The following parable, which is the one we're going to get into, bases itself off of these first ones that had gone on. The parable of the servant and the faithfulness that was there. The parable of the virgins and the inward character that needed to be there. And then we come on to the parable of the, of the talents. And here the theme of the par- parable of the talents is the necessity of outward exertion. Before the parable of the virgins was inward character. But in the parable of the talents, it is outward exertion. It is not only what is on the inside. We've already talked about that in the parable of the virgins. We're now going to what comes out on the outside. What we have on the inside greatly affects what we do on the outside. But his first thing in the parables was he he focused on faithfulness. Then he focused on the inward character of the people. Now we're going to focus on what you're doing outside of that. How that comes out. How that expresses expresses us. That has a lot to do even what we're doing on the Sunday morning series in fruitfulness because our inward character greatly affects 
whether we are producing fruit or whether we are producing works. It is huge on inward character. Because the basic scripture we're looking at in John chapter 15, if we are part of the what? The vine. And his, if we abide in Him and His words abide in us, what's that changing? Our inside character. We are developing the character of the vine. It is the inward character there, very instrumental in the production of fruit. And here we see the exact same outline in that is the inward character demonstrated in the virgins, the faithfulness demonstrated in the parable of the servants. And now we have the parable of the outward exertion. All those things affect it. But we have to make sure that we focus on our faithfulness and our inward character. It is too easy for us to get into a service mentality where we're looking on the outward expression and forget what is going on on the inside. How many times can we outwardly serve people but inwardly grumble and complain? Is that a fruit? No, it's a work that's going to be burned up. We have to make sure that our inward character is developed so that our outward production is fruit and is not works that will be burned. So the necessity of outward exertion is what is in mind here. As of the ten virgins was on the importance of the inward character, this one is inward character in operation. The good of what you do outwardly has its making in who you are inwardly. The good of what you do outwardly has its making in who you are inwardly. Now with that, let's begin to read this uh, parable. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. So the setting here is the one who has the kingdom is going on a far journey. We know this to be the Messiah. He called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. So he had, a, he had servants. He had those who, who helped him in this area. But he was going on a far journey. He gave to each one, not equally. He gave to each one unequally based upon their ability. So to the one he gave five talents, do they have the ability to handle five talents? Yes. To the one that he gave two talents, do they have the ability to handle two? Do they have the ability to handle five? No. no. <laughs> Probably not. But they did have the ability to handle two. And those two produced two more, which became still not five. <laughs> but he did have the ability to handle the two. And he grew in his ability to handle four. But at the time he was given two, what did he have the ability to handle? But by the time the master came back, what did he have the ability to handle? The one who had five. When, he, when the master departed, what did he have the ability to handle? When he came back, what did he have the ability to handle? Ten. Ten, because he had them. So we can grow in our ability, but at the time that they are dished out, he gives us according to our ability. So because I have been given a certain amount of talent, it does not mean that's my ceiling. That just means that's where I'm at. But I can change my ceiling. I can develop it and go further. So we have the five, we have the two, then we have the one. What was the ability of the one he gave the one talent to? It was one, wasn't it? 
However, when the master came back, what did he find out? That he did not operate in the ability that he had. Because he had the ability to handle one. Does he? No, he does not handle one. And that's big. Verse 16, Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and selected, uh, settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you have delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you have delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Is there any difference in what he says to the one who had the five talents and gained five, having ten, to the one who had the two talents, gained two, and having four. He says exactly the same thing. Is there a difference in the production of the two? Yes. Yes. They both doubled. But one now has ten, the other one has four. Which one was the more beneficial servant? Ten. He gained more. (laughs) He gained five, five talents more that's uh, having ten. The other guy total has, has four. Two of those guys would not equal the, one of the first. So as far as the kingdom production is concerned, the first one is the more productive. But he gives exactly the same commendation to both. Doesn't change it one word. Gives them both exactly the same. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would receive back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now we referred many times to this parable as well as the parables of some other parables in this in that Jesus is not socialistic. Jesus does not evenly distribute the wealth. He allows those who have more to gain more. He allows those who have more ability than others to gain what their ability is able to and commends them for it. And He does not go about saying, well, you know what? You got ten. This guy over here's only got four, so I'm going to take this many from you and give it to him. He doesn't do it, does He? That is not God's plan. God's plan is if you succeed, you prosper. If you are diligent, if you are faithful, if you put the effort out and you succeed more than the person next to you, 
then you will gain more than the person next to you. That's his view. Are the rewards in heaven all the same? No. No, they are not. That is not how God works it. And there are many places in Scripture that will show this. This is not the only place that you see this in Scripture. There are many places in Scripture that you will see this. You can even go back to the 12 tribes of Israel. Is the blessing on all 12 tribes the same? Is there not a substantial difference between the blessings of the tribes? Are not some uh, blessed abundantly and some blessed very little? And what was it based upon? Which one guys liked the most? No, what they did. The leadership blessing of the twelve tribes of Israel passed from the firstborn, passed from the secondborn, and passed from the thirdborn. Do you remember why? Because of their actions, because of what they did. Reuben, Simeon, and Levi were all bypassed for the leadership uh, leadership blessing. And it then fell to who was the fourthborn of the house, not the first. So what was supposed to come upon the firstborn fell upon the fourth because each of the first three were disqualified because of what they did. When he came to Judah, there was no reason to disqualify him. And so the blessing was was put upon him. But there's other places where God has bypassed the one who should get it because of actions. Of course, the the most notable is Jacob (laughs) and Esau. Oh, is that not extremely evident in there? Even from the time they were born, God says, I've rejected this one. I like this one. Why? Because of what He did. But He hasn't done it yet. But I know what it's going to be. <laughs> hmm. So this is, this is God's view. But understand this. In the kingdom of God, your brother or sister on your left or your right can never hold you back. No one can hold you back in the eyes of God, except you. No one. Now the media and all the folks that are out there today are always trying us to, to get us to be envious of different ones, envious of different groups of people, to hate and despise and all the different things of all the different groups that are around us, simply because they're holding you back. Do not adopt that mentality. No one holds you back. No one. That mentality, I, we have a name for it in this, uh, this day and age. You've probably heard of it. It's the victim mentality. How many times do you run into people who have a victim mentality? You know, well, I'm in this because of this. Or, I didn't get that opportunity. And I didn't have that chance. And I didn't have any money. And I didn't get the job. And all the different things. We have all these people that have this victim mentality. And, and then once you have the victim mentality, then you get into this thing where I deserve something. We have people out there, well, I deserve to have a house. I deserve to have a car. I deserve to have money in the bank. I deserve to have a high-paying job. I deserve to have health care. And we have all these things that we deserve to have, don't we? And we get this mentality, I deserve to have this. Yet in the Word of God, what do we deserve to have? Mm-hmm. Nothing. Nothing. What have we been blessed with? Amen. Everything. Amen. But I deserve nothing. nothing. Thank God I'm not getting what I deserve. Because <laughs> I don't deserve... What I deserve is not so good. But see, that's the mentality that people around here want us to get us into. Why I'm always talking to you about things to the press that comes about to, to build this on because this mentality is anti-God. 
If you get into a mentality, if you accept the world's viewpoint that I deserve all these things, I should have all these things, the government should provide all these things, it is anti-God. People are... This, this uh, end time, whole end times thing, folks, is a whole deal of people seeing government as God. That is the mentality. That is what it's trying to be get across. It has been a long time battle and the end times is completely about getting the government to be seen as God. Then making the government as a worldwide thing, trying to get the whole world to see the government as God. And then to get a single head of that government to be elevated above to where everyone sees this one as a peacemaker, as one who brings them things, as one who is the provider. And then when they get into the middle part of the tribulation, make the switch that now suddenly the guy that is at the head of this world government, this attempt at world government, now becomes God. And in the middle part of the tribulation, they take the image that is made for this man. And this man here, Satan comes and, and actually embodies him. But the idea is to bring worship to this man, thereby bringing worship to God, but bringing worship through the government. So this whole thing where you are seeing in this country, with this press, with this Congress, with this administration, with this judicial system that we have, with this UN and the world uh, economic system, all these things, they are all, all pushing for the single viewpoint that government is the provider. That's what they're getting at. The whole thing of getting more people on unemployment. Did you hear Nancy Pelosi a couple weeks ago? We really have to elect smarter people into the Congress. I mean, it's, she came out and said that unemployment, that when they boosted the unemployment, that this is actually one of the best ways to increase jobs in this country. She actually said that. I don't have it verbatim, but that's what she came out. The way she said it was even stupider. I mean, it's just amazing. How how can you think that paying people for not working increases jobs? How do we get into that mentality? But see, the mentality is there that the government is the provider. So thereby, making the unemployment longer and longer and longer makes the government provider longer and longer. By getting more people on the government payroll, we make the government the provider. And it's not just in this country, folks. It's all over. Finland, from what I understand, that uh, a, a huge number of the people there are employed by the government. Um, where is it? Over in Cuba. Did you know that Cuba has an unemployment rate, rate of about 1% or 2%? Because just about everybody works for the government. $20 a month. Just about everybody works for the government. So they have unemployment around 1% or 2%. However, they decided that... Uh, the new guy over there has decided that there's a lot of redundant people, so they're going to start laying off some of the government employees out there. But I forget the ratio. The ratio I heard, I, my jaw just kind of hit the floor, and I heard the ratio of how many people in the country worked for the government compared to how many people worked in the private sector. And, but it's, it's this mentality. You have got to resist getting this because it is anti-God. And you'll look at it and say, well, it just, no, this is just being nice. This is just helping people. It is not. It is the getting the government to be your health care provider. It is getting the government to be your uh, unemployment insurance. It is to get the government. You, you depend on the government for everything. And we, as soon as something happens, what happens when a, natural, when a, when a uh, disaster happens? What do we do? Where is the government? Why isn't the government here? 
government should be here. Where's the government money? I need money. Where's the government? Because we have allowed government to become switched. And the government is now our provider. You have got to be resistant on this. The attitude that must come is that first off, we are servants of the Most High God. Our inward character is developed by Him. And we go out and we take what that inward character is and we produce for our God. And our God rewards according to what we have done. And if my brother or sister has done more than me, glory to God, they got more than I did. And you know what? I'm happy for them. You know why? Because of my inward character. If I had a less than inward character, I'd become jealous and envious of those which are not spiritual qualifications. <laughs> they're, they're not good. No, my brother or sister gets more... Oh, glory to God. Look at, look at how God is blessing them. Oh, God bless them. Look at all that they're doing for you. They got five talent ability. I'm over here with one talent ability. But I'm growing. But I'm growing. I'm getting better, I'm getting better than one talent ability. But you see, we don't get into that, that mentality. But if you get into the world's mentality, the one talent people become envious of the five talent people and we all gang up against the five talent people and take some of their talents. That's not God's way. You've got to hang on to going God's way. Don't let the world way get into you. If you have two talent, if you have three talent, if you have five talent, if you have ten talent ability, God will reward you according to what you do. Glory to God for that. Thank God, though, we're all still saved. Regardless of whether you have two talent, five talent, or one talent ability. Thank God we can all still be saved. Because understand, He called His servants too. To one he gave one, to one he gave five. What, the one who had five was a more of a servant of, of God than the one who had one. So we're all servants of God. We're all saved. But in the kingdom to come, our place will be determined by what it is that we do and how faithful, how uh, industrious we are with what we have. And our inward character affects that. So he says, you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. At least then someone would have handled it. At least what I gave you would have been in play. We can't bury it. Now what's this idea of burying it? Whatever God has given us to be able to handle. And talents is not just money. Talents is also abilities and, and, and things that He's given us to be able to do. God has entrusted things from His kingdom into our hands. What do we do with them? If we take them and bury them in the ground, if we take them and say, oh, well, I can't do anything with this. I'm just going to bury it. I'm not going to use it. Then it's not in play. If I took it, in this particular example, and at least gave it to the bankers, at least the bankers would have put it in play and it would have been used. And he would not have gotten all of the reward from it because the bankers would have gotten some of the rewards. But at least he would have gotten something from it. Is what he's saying in here. And what he's actually saying in the story is, don't bury what you have. Well, I only got one talent. I only got one particular thing that I can do for the for God. That's not a whole lot like this one's over here. They got five or six things they're doing for God. I got one. No, you get out there and you do it. But there's reasons why people become one to bury. And this guy's going to give us some clues and some indications on on it for what we need to do. All right, let's take a look at some of the comparison between this one and the, the other one before we go on with with it. There are the two talents that are similar. The first one, the talents, in this one, the parable of the talents, Jesus spoke to His own. And He's talking to His own about the five, two, and the one. In the parable of the minas, which everyone gets the same, He spoke to a multitude. In the talents, the gifts differed and the rewards 
were the same. In the minas, the rewards differed and the gifts were the same. Now, we'll probably get into the minas too and, and look at that. I'll go back over and as long as there's something enough different we're going to want to get into, we'll, we'll dig into that one as well. But the, the first is faithful with five talents. The second is faithful with two talents. And the third is unfaithful with one talent. Now, let's compare the master's statements to both of them. First off, he says to the ones that were faithful, good and faithful servant, among other things. But he says, good and faithful servant. The word there for good is the word agathos. We're familiar with this. We've talked about it a number of times. It's good as to its benefit. It is beneficial. He says, good and faithful servant. And so to the one who had five, and they produced five, they were out there, they were working the five, they produced five, he says, good and faithful servant. To the one who had two, and was out there working the two, trading and buying and doing different things with the two talents, he produced two more, he doubled his, and he was told, good and faithful servant. Called a good and faithful servant. Good, beneficial, and faithful servant. Now he comes to the wicked one, the one who had the one talent and buried it. And the things that he says to him is wicked and lazy. Good and faithful, wicked and lazy. There's the difference. Verse 26, But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You wicked and lazy servant. Go back up to verse 23. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now he says that to the one who had five and the one who has two. He said you are faithful in a few things. So God sees the five talents, which is the most he gave to anybody, as what? Few things. He sees the two talents as few. You have been faithful over a few things. And in reality, at the end, he was faithful not with five, but with ten. So really, God saw ten as few. So if the ten is few, what is the many? But you have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Because he was a good and faithful servant. How many of you all want to hear good and faithful servant? You want to hear good and faithful servant, you've got to first off make sure that you have a servant mentality and that you have, a, you have developed your inward character. If you develop your inward character, you are completely resistant to the world's mentality of being envious, being jealous, wanting someone else to provide for you, wanting someone else to, to do the, you need to take from them and give to me. You are completely resistant from that because it's not godly. What is godly by inward character is, God, if I have a need, I go to... Go to God. I go to God. I go to, what, the Word of God teaches us over and over. If you have a need, go to your brother and sister and beg and plead. Go to who? Go to God and pray and believe. Don't doubt in your heart, but believe. God will provide. God will take care of it. But we have to keep that, that going. Inward character keeps us in this place that God is my provider. There are many things that will pull you out of it. We can get into a thing not only that our brothers and sisters are our provider, not only that our government is our provider, we can also get into a thing that our job is our provider. 
I can begin to see my job as the provision. And if anything begins to happen that a job looks, looks uh, problematic or I might even lose the job, I become in fear and doubt because I haven't seen God as my provider. I saw my job as my provider. We have to be careful about that. Now, it's not a deal where God says, you know what, I'm just going to test you. I'm just going to take that job away from you. <laughs> Don't get into it. That's not God. That's not what He wants to do. But just stay, stay resistant to, to that thought. God is the one that we go to. I don't need government. I don't need money from my brothers and sisters. If then my brothers and sisters bless me and help me out, glory to God. I mean, God can use them as, as part of that to help me out. But I don't look to that. Because what happens is, you know, sometimes we have this financial need. We show up at church and we leave. No one blessed me today. I thought I'd be taken care of and, and they must not like me. And we get into a, a victim mentality. Don't get that victim mentality. Victim mentality is not a victor mentality. And God wants us to have a victor mentality. As soon as you get into a victim, oh, woe is me. Why isn't the government doing this for me? Why isn't so-and-so doing this for me? How come I don't have this? Oh, woe is me. I mean, sometimes you just talk. I hear people all the time. You just listen. Not here in this church. Other people outside of the church. Because you know, but I have contact with other people besides you folks in here in your church. Thank God you all don't have that victim mentality. It won't be as much of a family atmosphere. But you know, you, you, you fellowship with people outside the church. You fellowship with people that are in the world and you just listen to them. And it's just like, every situation they're in, oh, my boss is out to get me. Oh, their co-workers, they're rising up against me. Just constantly. Every time, they always see a conspiracy against them. Hmm. I mean, Daniel certainly had a reason to have a victim mentality, didn't he? Joseph certainly had a reason to have a victim mentality, but they never adopted it. They kept having the victor mentality. You know what? I'm going to win. <laughs> David could have had a victim mentality, but he kept a victor mentality. Don't, if you let the victim mentality get in your head, victor mentality cannot reside there. It is one or the other. cannot be both. This guy here has a victim mentality. That's why he buries it. The other two have a victor mentality. And you'll see this as we, as we go through with it. So good and faithful is what he calls these. Third guy, wicked and lazy. The word there for wicked is paneros. We've talked about that word in times past as well. It's a fairly common word. Here's a place where it's also used. In Matthew 5.45, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The word there for evil is the word paneros, and the word there for good is the word agathos. He uses them as complete opposites. Here on one hand, he lets the, the, rain, the, the sun rise on the evil and on the good. So here, when you look at that total opposite spectrum, this side, this side. Do you know in one verse in Matthew... And, and other places as well, but just a few verses be, or a few um, verses or chapters before this, this one here. He uses this very word "evil" to describe the devil. That's how evil this can be. Total opposites. Here is the evil side. Here is the good side. You wicked, Poneris, and lazy. So we have good on this side, wicked. Paneros on the other side, faithful and 
Do you see the opposites? We have good, the opposite, evil. Faithful, opposite, laziness is not faithfulness. It is the direct opposite. Faithful people are not lazy people. Lazy people are not faithful people. So he's using these these two opposites in this. The one is good and faithful. The other is wicked and lazy. Now there are no reasons given for for faithfulness. All it is is you are faithful. Good job. But there are reasons given for the unfaithfulness. Let's take a look at those. Back over here in our Matthew 25. So he says, You wicked and lazy servant. Well, let's go back a little bit further. Verse 25. Verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Now, he does. Again, Jesus is creating a story. He's not even debating whether this is a true depiction of God. He's not even debating whether this is a true image of what this master is, is about. He's saying this is what this guy had in his head. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. That's the phrase we need to look at. And I was afraid. And I was afraid. Why is the fear there? Again, he is called what? Wicked and lazy. Wicked and lazy. Is there any fear in the other ones? They were out there the whole time trading and doing stuff in the same atmosphere that this guy was. But this guy has fear. And I was afraid. The other folks don't have fear. They're taking the five talents, they're taking the two talents, and they're investing it. They're putting it in the hands of other people, other businesses, they're trading, they're buying, they're investing. They're not afraid. Why not one one um manner, good and faithful, does not produce fear. But wicked and lazy produces what? Fear. Fear. Is there not a scripture in the Word of God that said that perfect love casts out? Is and this guy's understanding of the master is? Does that sound like somebody who's walking the love of God? Who understands the love of God? No. And this is why it produces the fear. And I was afraid. What's he afraid of? First off, he is he has a fear of the master. Right or wrong, he has a fear of the master. It makes no difference whether it's right or wrong. When you have little kids and they are afraid of the monster under the bed, does it make any difference if there isn't one there? Does it, does it make any difference that you take them out of the bed and you show them underneath the bed that there's no monster there? And then you put them back in. And then what do they say? The monster, monster's back. He, he's back. <laughs> he, left, he left just a little bit while you were in the room. But he's back now. I know it. I hear him. <laughs> there's, there's fear. Fear is not rational. There's no rationality with fear. It's just... It, it doesn't make sense. I mean... What, why are you afraid? How many times have we have we carried fears? 
that are really, if you stop and you think about it, you just put your mind to it and think about it, you think, why am I afraid? Now, don't raise your hand on this, but how many have a fear of spiders? I said not to raise your hand. <laughs> now, think about this. You are towering over the spider. Right? And yet the spider has a power over you. Because you have a fear of the spider. How many have fear, fear mice? Rats. They're little. They're little. Can they do anything to If you really think about it, can they do anything to you? <laughs> What's that? The, oh, the big tarantulas. You ever had one crawl in your hand? Oh, man. you ought to, they, are, they are totally different feel than those little tiny ones that you have. Totally different feel. Oh, you ought to... I mean, to, have to hold in your hand a spider that has weight to it. Is absolutely astounding. You would understand why they sell them as pets. You ever see the pet stores? They sell them as pets. Oh, they're great little. But you probably won't believe me on that one. We were down in uh, some island. I forget where it was, and we came across these banana spiders. Ever seen a banana spider? They're about that big. Colorful, and they just do these the huge webs, and they generally cluster. That seemed like anyway they does that they cluster. And so, you know, we walked on through, we were walking on through the wooded area, and when we got to them, and once we realized they're here, there were three of us, and then there were two of us. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's what it was, uh-huh. So, yeah, I had my sunglasses off, and I'm over in Christian, we're, we're kind of playing around with the spider, you know, kind of poking at him a little bit, not trying to hurt him, just trying to get him to move around and to do stuff and, and, and things like that, and... And there's a certain one of us who, who didn't hang around for, for that aspect of it. But really, when you think about it, I mean, they don't do you, they can't do you any harm. A daddy long leg. How many like daddy long legs? I mean, they just kind of like a little creep. But absolutely, they, they are totally harm. They can't bite you. They're actually a good spider. If you have a daddy long leg in the house, keep them. Yeah, they eat stuff. They, they're good things to have around. <laughs> They are your friend. Ladybugs, they are your friend. They, everybody likes ladybugs. Yeah, all right, that's good. My wife gets so upset at me because sometimes I'll just go up there and grab one of the spiders and just hold them and then take them outside and, and let them go. She thinks that it ought to just be squished and <laughs> destroyed. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of creeps her out that I would actually just hold the thing in my hand and take it outside. But... But, you know, we can get very irrational with fear. There are some times, you know, at nighttime, we're not fearful, and other times we become fearful. There are some times we hear noises in the daytime, they don't cause fear, but at nighttime they can cause fear. And we become irrational. And you can talk and talk and talk and reason out with people that have a fear, and whatever the fear is, you can talk and talk and talk. It ain't going to help. I mean, you could sit down with anybody who's afraid of spiders and they've got three of them all around them and they're kind of... It's okay. You know, they won't, they won't hurt you. I don't want to hear that. I want to see them gone. Right? <laughs> out of here. Get them out. My wife ran across a snake in the uh, garden the other, other day. And she did real good. She didn't scream. She didn't hightail it out of there. She um, 
finished up her stuff and then left. I was impressed. Because <laughs> she actually saw him on the ground and he slithered away. And uh, that one took me by surprise. I was sort of really surprised that she didn't just exit the garden then <laughs> and send one of us back in from there on out to, to harvest and stuff. But she stuck right in there and she wasn't even back in there the next day to harvest some more. That was good. Now, one more thing on this, on this fear thing. How many of you moms who might be afraid of, of some of these things we've talked about, if your child was in an area where those things were and they were in danger, would jump in? So now you're going to think about it a little bit. Now, you're going to, now it's, it's not just an instant no. <laughs> you might get, might get out there and, and, and help out. Fear has no, There's really no rationale behind fear. And this is what you have to under, understand with it. This guy, there was no rationale with it. It didn't matter that this stuff made any sense. What mattered was that it produced fear. I was afraid. He was afraid first off. Fear of the master. He was afraid of what the master might do should he, uh, should he lose the, the talent. And that's the second. He, was, he had a fear of losing the talent. What will I do if I appear before the master and I've lost the talent? That will be bad. Here's the third one. He had a fear of trusting others. What did the guy with five do? Did he not have to entrust that some of that five talents with some other people in order for it to, to grow? Did the one with two talents have to entrust that with other people in order for it to grow? What about the guy with the one? He didn't trust it. He allowed fear to keep this away. And I'll tell you what, folks, Christians can do this too. We can become afraid. We have been burned. We have been hurt. With things that have set us back in the past. And we become fearful. Or we become victimized. And we think, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to go out there. I'm not going to venture out with that. I'm not going to keep putting my talent out there. I'm just going to take my talent and bury it in the ground. Because I'm afraid of how people respond when I put my talent out there. I'm afraid of losing my talent. I'm afraid of getting hurt. I'm afraid of appearing before the Master. And not having done what I should have done with the... With it. There's all kinds of stuff. We become fearful for it. Now, here's, a, here's what, what I want you to get down from this. The guy was wicked and he was wicked. He saw him as wicked because he did not do anything with the talent that he had. And he uses the word paneros to describe him. Can you imagine that? If you took what it is that God has given you to do and bury it, God sees you as going from good to and he sees you as going from faithful to lazy. Because really, he does not do this because the guy has one talent. He does not do this because the guy returns with one talent. He does it because of what the guy did with the talent in the time he was gone. Wicked and lazy. The laziness resulted from seeing failure as imminent in judgment or reward as possible. That's how laziness is produced in this particular instance. Laziness is produced seeing failure as imminent and judgment or reward as possible. Now flip-flop that. I can become faithful if I receive failure as possible but judgment and reward as imminent. Right? Then that changed the way that I, I do things? If I see that failure is going to happen, but failure, uh, 
judgment of reward, that's a possibility. Doesn't that put the 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 emphasis? Doesn't that make me more lazy? Doesn't that get me into a spot where I'm not as, as much to, to push forward? If I know that failure will probably happen, it will probably come, but I'm not so sure about the reward. Does that not make me more prone to be lazy? But if I see the reward as imminent, it is coming. Failure is a possibility too. But the reward is coming. I know that's happening. Doesn't that spur me on? Doesn't that make me, make me go on a little bit further? And see, that's exactly the, the, the type of system that God sets up. God sets up, and I've, I've called it this just because we know we can relate to it. God sets up a capitalistic system. If you put forth the effort, you will be, you will be rewarded. He sees reward as imminent. It is coming. Reward will come. Failure might happen along the way too. But regardless, the reward will come. Doesn't that change my outlook on the thing? Doesn't it change the way we, we go? This is why the Soviet bloc countries failed. Because in the socialistic system, where everybody gets rewarded the same, which is little, Barely enough to get by. There's no reason to push forward. If no matter how hard you work or how much you get done, you will always get paid $7 an hour. What will it do to your work? If there's nothing else, you, if you could produce twice as much as the person next to you and you still get paid $7 an hour, what would it do to your work? I mean, for the first couple of weeks, would you, not, you might push thinking that maybe, maybe they might see. But after a while, what happens? It doesn't matter if I produce or if I don't produce. I get paid the same amount of money. So why push? Why do it? We had, to, had that uh, opportunity with my son Christian. He's, he just took on a new job. And he's over there. You know, he's been, he's been working for a couple of weeks at it. And... Um, you know, he had his mom and I as, as teachers. And, and, and you kind of have an idea how we work at things. And we've instilled that into him. And so he goes in there. And he has this person. He says, uh, this one lady, she's uh, generally the manager is the one when he is working. And he says, he, she's the one who gives me the, who keeps me busy. She finds the things for me to do. And she said, she likes me because I get the stuff done and I get it done fast. I said, yeah, that's good. I said, you keep it up. I said, people have the mentality that if you drag the work out, you'll, you'll uh, you know, have more hours. I said, that's not true. They give more hours to the people who get stuff done. That's God's way. That's God's way. The world's way isn't that way. How many have ever worked at a place that rewarded people for laziness? Come on, there are some places out there that seem to do that, aren't they? But the, they, don't, they don't stick around all that long. You've got to have God's mentality. And God says, if you work hard, if you put that effort out, I will reward you for the effort that you put out. You're already saved. You're already in a family. you already got a mansion. But I will reward you if you want to put that effort out. Put that effort out. You have that talent. 
Maybe you have that talent, that thing that God has put on the inside of you and you're putting out and people aren't recognizing you the way you think you ought to be recognized. And a thought comes in, you should be recognized more. And you entertain that thought. Don't entertain that thought. Put that thought out of your way. Because who do you serve? We serve God. We don't serve people. We serve God. We serve God by serving people. But in the end, I serve God. How many of y'all know that there are people who will reject the things that you do? And some Christians have stopped doing what they're doing because of Christians who have rejected them. So who, would, who did they do it for? You can't tell me they did it for God because if they did it for God, He didn't reject them for it. They switched somewhere along the way and they began to do what they did for people, not for God. You can't do it that way. These folks, the one with the five, the one with the two, always kept the mentality, I'm going to report to the Master. When I go to the Master, I'm going to get to show Him what I've done, what's going on. You know that the one with the five, the one with the two, faced the same environment, the one with the one. But for the one, it created fear. For the other two, it created opportunity. Same environment, same place. Don't blame other people for why you're not producing. It's not their fault. It's real easy to look at other people and say it is their fault. I'll bet you Jeremiah had good reason to look at the people that were around him and say, it's their fault I'm not producing. But God didn't look at that. Jeremiah, are you being faithful with what I'm giving you? Are you taking what I'm giving you? Are you putting it out? Yes, sir. That's what I want you to do. You be faithful. You do what you're doing. I just need you to do what I'm telling you to do. You don't worry about all the rest of the stuff because you're doing it for me. Don't worry if they beat you. (laughs) Easy for you to say, God. (laughs) I mean, isn't it? Easy for him to say. Now, he sent his son and his son came on down here and did the same thing. He He suffered for it. And he showed us you can do it. I know someone's thinking, yeah, but he only did it for 33 and a half years. <laughs> it was an intense 33 and a half years. You just keep on going. Laziness resulted from seeing failure as imminent and judgment and reward as only possible. It might come. We have to see judgment and reward is coming. I'm going to be judged for my works. I'm going to be rewarded for the fruits. I'm going to be rewarded for the harvest. I'm going to be rewarded for the things that I've done for God. It is coming. It's not that it might get here. It is coming. It is good to stay faithful and to keep on going for God because it is coming. When you get discouraged and you want to hang it up and you want to say, God, I'm just tired. You know, I've got enough inside of me. And I can carry myself on through. I mean, don't you? Don't you all have enough word in you that you can carry you through till Jesus Christ comes? <laughs> right? And you can, you can survive just fine. And sometimes we just get that out. You know what, God? I've got enough word in me. I'm, I'm fine. I don't need nobody else. <laughs> I'm okay. And I can get to heaven on what I got. And, you know, tough on them. <laughs> no, that's not what we're supposed to do, are we? No, because he wanted these guys to be diligent with the five talents all up until he came back. And he even said in there it was a long time until he came back. And he wanted to add the two. Be diligent with those two until I come back. You don't ever care about the fact that I got two, he got five. 
I got one. He got five. You don't ever care about that. What you do is, this is what He gave me. He gave me according to my ability. Thank God He gave me according to my ability. Because if, if I'm a two-talent person and He gave me five, oh, man. But you see, He gave him two so that he could grow. And as he grew, he got up to where he was handling four. That's the way that you want to go. Whatever God gave you, if God gave it to you, you have the ability to handle it. Because He gave to each one according to their ability. I have the ability to get it done. Understand this. All of the talents belong to the Lord. Every one of them. But He gave them to us. The talents represent that which belongs to God, given to you to further His kingdom. He's given it to you. It belonged to Him. But He's given it to you to further His kingdom. That's the whole goal of it. For I say, Romans 12.3, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought. Is that saying don't think highly of yourself? No, it just simply says don't think more highly. If you're a two-talent person, don't think of yourself as a five-talent person. If you're a one-talent person, don't think of yourself as a two-talent person telling yourself, I should be getting two talents. Because that's where it leads. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Romans 12, 6 through 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. We have gifts differing according to what? Grace. In other words, one talent person has grace for one talent. A two talent person has grace for two talents. A five-talent person has grace for five talents. And if you get out there and you're working your five talents, you're working your two talents, you're working your one talent, and it seems like you don't have enough grace to be here. Oh, it's just getting too hard. Oh, it's No, you go back to this verse. Having then gifts differing according to the gift, grace that is given to us, let us use them. The grace that has been given to me has been given so that I can use them. I can keep them in play. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Will your faith ever grow? Sure. Which means your prophecy can grow. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You have the grace to do it. And it doesn't matter who recognizes you. It doesn't matter how hard a time they give you. Because <laughs> we've all had some hard times giving from people, haven't we? We've all had some reasons to want to hang it up. But don't. Keep on going. Because we serve who? God. Who gave them to us? Who we serve? Who's going to reward us? That's right. The people that you serve in the meantime are just people that are there to give you a place to serve. But you serve Him by serving them. But you, but you serve Him don't ever lose sight of that. Don't ever get to the spot that you think, I serve people. No, you serve God by serving people. But never lose that order. If you do, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, they just changed things up a little bit and got themselves in all kinds of trouble. I serve God by serving people. That's it. I don't serve people. I serve God by serving people. I love God by glory to God. Keep on loving people. Because I love God by loving people. I cannot say, God, I love you. And He says, are you loving the people around you? Can't, can't do it. 
I gotta love the people around me. How many know that means all the people? Especially who? Those of the household of faith. Those of the household of faith, exactly. <laughs> I mean, aren't they sometimes the toughest? <laughs> oh man. But because you know, in the body of Christ, we have some nice ones and we have some We have some that are embarking on being nicer ones. <laughs> that are working on their sanctification. Right? Are we supposed to love them too? Yeah. We're we supposed to help them? Absolutely. We love them. This is what we do. I love God by loving others. I serve God by serving others. I may be a one-talent person, but I can sure grow to be a two-talent person, can I? I may be a two-talent person, I can sure grow to be a four-talent person. And I might be a five-talent person. And I can grow to be a ten-talent person. But I can also be a one-talent person who buries it in the sand. Becomes lazy and wicked. I don't want to do that. I want to keep on going. Don't get the mentality that the five-talent person ought to give you one. So that you can go present two. Because that is not God. He does not want you to be doing that. He wants you to take your one, put it to work, and, bring, and produce something. Because that's how God does it. And He will reward you accordingly. But don't get the world system in there. The, the more you know about the end times, the more you know about the mentality that will be there, the more you can recognize it in what's going on around us today. The more that you see it begin to, to come out in, in the people that are there. In the leaders that are there, in the mentality, in the news, in all the different things that are around us. It's there. It's there to be seen. Do not let it get in you. Antichrist has not appeared on the scene yet. But the Word of God tells us that many Antichrists will come and that the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well. And it's going on. So it's around. And we can recognize it. As soon as we recognize it, we say, I'm not, no, 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 I'm not taking that on. I'm not going to get into that way. I'm going to resist that. The government is not my provider. It never will be my provider. I will not look to it to be my provider. I do not expect things from it. I look to God. And I will keep looking to God. Oh, just keep on, hang on with that. Father God, we thank you for the help that you give us. Your word is our guiding light. The world is constantly trying to play on us and erode our thinking into thinking that other things are provision. But they are not. Our God is our provider. Our God is our master. Our God is the one that we serve. Our God is the one that has given us talents and abilities. Our God is the one who has given to us areas of responsibility. And there is no person in this world who can stand between me and my reward from my God. No one Amen. can stop me. Because it is the faithfulness, it is the inward character on the inside of me that causes what I have been given to be used correctly. Not anyone else around me. It is what is on the inside of me. Father, I thank you that when that time comes for the rewards in heaven, there is not a soul on the face of this earth who could stop us from being faithful and being good. Father, we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.